Hello, this call is from the Black Friend Collective. Please type in your four-digit code if you choose to accept. Thank you. April. Another member of the Black Friend Collective named Bo would now like to connect with you. Press 1 if you choose to accept. Thank you and don't forget. Stay black. Stay proud. And as always. <laughs> fuck off. This just in. A group of intelligent but inflammatory Negroes have banded together in what they now call BFC or Black Friend Collective. The FBI have been monitoring the situation since early this morning, and though this group has not yet committed any threatening or cautionary acts against the American way, all other federal agencies have been put on high alert and advised to warn the public that they should be viewed as a threat. Despite their relatively innocent appearances, members of this collective have been known to frequent nightclubs, question authority, smoke copious amounts of marijuana, grind, shake, pop, lock, and drop their asses, challenge government as it stands, tweet provocative calls of action, and be gay. What could all of this mean for America's future? The answer after this. I got something to say. Hey, Bo, it's, it's April. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Uh, all right, cool. Welcome back to BFC. This week, you've got me, April, coming to you from my childhood bedroom in Ithaca, New York. And Bo all the way across the country in sunny Los Angeles. And it is warm and I'm not okay with it. I am so jealous, honestly, because I was supposed to be in LA right now. And then I came back to Ithaca because of COVID. And now it's, I just, I miss the LA warmth. It's so different than the New York warmth in the sense of like, it's so muggy here, mm -hmm. unlike LA where it's dry the entire time. I'm very jealous. No, I'll take 110 dry heat over 80 with humidity. I just can't deal with it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, okay, let's take a break to hear from our sponsors. <laughs> this week's sponsor is the nickname Oreo. Black on the outside and white on the inside. Black kids everywhere hate to hear it. White kids everywhere are more comfortable with you when they hear it. It's just a step below nigga, the nickname Oreo. <laughs> Thank you. So I gotta tell you how many times, like that was my nickname in high school was Oreo. Mm -hmm. And yep. I just remember being being like, oh, this is funny. Like people like me, they gave me a nickname. And then I was later in life, I was like, oh, this is really, really, really fucked mm -hmm. up. No, it was so prevalent. Prevalent in the fact that like that was one of the first nicknames or one of the first uh, sponsor ideas for BFC. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, cool. So I am not at all alone in this experience. Okay, I thought that too. Like for the longest time, I was like, nobody, everybody in my high school was so original. They came up with this fucking awful nickname, Oreo. <laughs> and then I went to college and people were like, oh, you got called Oreo? I got called Oreo. Thank God white like, kids are just unoriginal. Honestly. Um. So Bo, who are you inviting to the Black Friend Collective this week? All right. So I'm, I'm going to invite uh, Willow Smith. Yes! <laughs> Wait a minute. I think I have my conscience on your front doorstep. Uh, initially, I was going to invite Will, but I feel like the kids are probably going through it worse than, you know, him. Um, <laughs> I mean, because I, I, every time I see like, oh, we have to like, you know, sympathy for Will Smith. Uh -huh. The comment directly beneath that is usually, yeah, well, what about like, his time with Eva Mendez and Charlize Theron and Margot Robbie and all that stuff, like, 
And also, yeah. who gives a shit, really? Like, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? They're two extremely rich and powerful individuals. They can, they've already been fucking other people. Like, this wasn't- So many other people that we just don't know about. Yeah. Like, why is this news? I know. I know. Yeah, so who, who are you inviting? This is funny because I was going to say I was going to invite Jada Pickett Smith, but then I figured that Jaden Smith would need like a little bit more community. What you call an icon living? Start a record label, Miss Fish just did it. Nylon, cover five minutes. Whoa, we are too high. But okay, I mean, aside from like the whole entanglements thing and whatever, this dude has been doing so much good shit with his mm -hmm. life, which I didn't, I was never like a huge Jaden Smith fan, but mm -hmm. then I like looked him up and researched him when all this stuff happened and I was like, oh fuck, this dude is so cool. Um, mm -hmm. So like, can we talk about the fact that like when he was 10 years old, he was in the Karate Kid remake. Like nobody ever talks about that, but that movie was so good. My brother loves that movie. It's, it's just like such a, oh, so good, so good. And I just love the fact that Will Smith was like, I see your potential as a young kid. And like, I want you to get, mm -hmm. I want you to do whatever you want to do. But like, if this is what you want to do, let's get you in a movie. But mm -hmm. I mean, like, not only that, I also just found out that he's dating Tyler, the creator, which is like, what a yeah. fucking power couple. Um, And he's been calling out Shane Dawson for sexualizing his sister. And he's repeatedly advocating for educational and environmental activism. So like, mm -hmm. this dude needs to be in BFC. Yeah, real talk. Jaden Smith's a real one. Real one, real one. Yeah. So uh, what's our theme for this week? So our theme is racial politics of the entertainment industry. Um, and I felt this was really relevant given we are both in the entertainment industry. <laughs> like if we didn't do this, then everyone would be like, what do you, why? I know. What's the point? I know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before we get into that, though, um, I just wanted to, you know, start with some current events. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Everyone's on the internet right now. You're listening to this on the internet. Um, we're recording this over the internet. So I feel like if you haven't seen Kanye announcing that he's running for president, um, not sure where you've been, but I'd like to go where you are. Yeah, you're hiding underneath a rock, a rock that I would yeah. live in. So No, invite me to your rock. Please. Like, so I'm, I'm going to try not to give any opinion here because like, Voting if, at this point, voting for Kanye is an objectively bad idea. If you are like, oh, well, you know, maybe no, 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 no. Um, so here are just a few of the like in, to help reinforce that. Here are just a few of the crazy things that he's um, he's done. Just the general timeline of Kanye running for president. So The Hill reported. Um, and at this point, it was last week that Kanye was running for president, despite having missed the deadline for filing. <laughs> to get himself on the ballot. This is the funniest oh. part for me, honestly, is this part right here where he's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. Like we're all free, like I, we dedicated the current event section to this and the man technically can't even run. But all, I don't know, I, Trump really did make the political process just nonsensical. Like I can't predict anything anymore. Yeah. I can't, you can't have, oh, well, I, I believe that this is going to happen. Well, your beliefs have been proven wrong time and time and again. So let's just, let's brace for the worst here. Yeah. Um, so the rapper told Forbes that he thinks he can argue that he should be allowed extra time um, given the corona pandemic. Um, he also said that he was going to speak with Jared Kushner, the White House, and with Joe Biden. Just three really weird picks. Because, yep. no, okay, no opinion. So um, <laughs> when he was asked about, his thoughts on the coronavirus cure, Kanye said, we pray. 
we pray for the freedom. It's all about God. We need to stop doing things that make God mad, which doesn't answer the question at all. Oh, no, no, um, no. On the subject of vaccines, you know, the things that would have prevented coronavirus from being a thing if we had caught it earlier and, you know, if we were a generally decent country. Um, he says, quote, it's so many of our children that are being vaccinated and paralyzed. So when they say the way we're going to fix COVID is with a vaccine, I'm extremely cautious. That's the mark of the beast. I don't even know what to say on some of his stances because they're just so... I mean, it's sad because they are just like so Kanye, mm -hmm. but also just so extreme. Powering through. He, he was inspired to you know run for president when he was in the shower and just started laughing maniacally because <laughs> he just thought you're going to run for president. And he started laughing. He said, you're going to run for president. And quote, I started laughing hysterically. I was like, this is the best. I'm going to go out there and they're going to think I'm going to do these songs and do this for entertainment. How rigged awards. Cause we, like he said, he was going to run back in like during the um, uh, MTV awards. Yeah. So like, this has been a long time coming. He's pro-life. He wants to base. And I, he just says Wakanda a lot. <laughs> I, I really encourage people to read through the Forbes article because it kind of hurts my brain to think about it. You know, to be fair, TMZ is reporting that he's probably going through an episode. Right. Um, he has been admittedly off his bipolar medication um, since last November. Mm -hmm. I just want to know what you think about all of this and the implications of Kanye running for president now. Like, do you think he actually has? And also before um, or after I like wrote all this down and I'm not even reading all of it because I thought it was going to be fun. Like, Chance endorsed and then revoked his endorsement for Kanye. I don't, like, this shouldn't be taken seriously. Yeah. Period. This should not be taken seriously, but I'm seeing so much coverage around it that, you know, Trump shouldn't have been taken seriously. And now we're four years in. So I, I don't know as a as someone who considers themselves relatively sane, I don't know how to react to this or how to combat it, or if, it's, if it is something that should be combated. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's crazy because, you know, we had a conversation earlier where we were like, what, what would, like this, this would be the time, 2020 would be the time that Kanye mm -hmm. does get elected. Like mm -hmm. to beat all odds, he would get elected. And what would that mean for a Kanye West presidency? And I genuinely, I, I don't know. I don't know if it would be better. I don't know if it would be worse. I don't know mm -hmm. if it would be the same. I feel like we are just kind of in this like weird dystopian, like groundhog day society where this shit could fly. Um, and it's, it's, wild and it's unacceptable and like it, it just it can't happen i don't I, uh, there are no other words other than this shouldn't be happening but you know just i am nodding furiously like i, <laughs> I agree so much and i just am scared just, oh it's I'm half excited like i'm not gonna lie if 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 you know if kanye wins yeah there isn't i'm not gonna say that there is gonna be no part of me that's not excited right no of course like, it would be new and crazy yeah but i'm also gonna be like I don't know. Like with Trump, we got kids in cages. Mm -hmm. With Kanye, it could be like, hey, if you wear this brand of clothing, then you get five years of jail time. <laughs> like Yeezys are mandated as the state sponsored, you know, clothing. Like I, yeah. it's going to be some weird shit. <laughs> some weird fucking shit. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you, Kanye. Mm -hmm. I don't even think that you were on the ballot, but you know, good luck. But they don't really realize though. This next verse, this next verse though, these bars, 
Watch this. Whoopie dee scoop. Scoop dee dee whoop. Whoop dee scoop dee poop. Well, welcome back from that little break. We hope you enjoyed our current events talk about good old Kanye. Um, we're going to dive kind of headfirst into our understandings of this topic, which is, you know, racial politics within Hollywood and the entertainment industry. But we felt like first we kind of just wanted to talk about why we chose this topic and like why it personally connects to us. So at least for me, I was a film major in school and my entire last like five years have been film and talking about film and understanding film. And then I moved out to LA immediately after I graduated and I got a job as a casting assistant um, with a pretty well-known company. And I've been doing that for the past year. And so I've actually been within the industry um, and have been within these like moments of feeling like just another cog in the machine of not being able to like disrupt anything or like take part in anything. Um, so that's my background. And then I know Bo has a really cool background too. No, so really cool is really cool. Nepotism is like the very long and short of it. So I was like, you know, April went through all of this education and training and she's wanted this for so long. And for me, it was like, hey, your mom's friend is looking for help in whatever work. Cool, do that. And then I've been in the industry for a year and a half now. Like, <laughs> like but I also feel like that is going to come up again. Like, just the, the idea of nepotism in the industry is, like, such, like, and you, you hear about it all the time, you know. It's, it's not who you know, yeah. it's how you know. It's both. It's yeah. both who you know and how you know them. Um, and that's also been something that I've been struggling with, of just, like, I am taking someone's spot that probably deserves it more than me. but also like i'm doing a good job i'm enjoying myself i'm learning like i see myself with a future in this in this field but you know like i haven't been here for for too too long and i hadn't done that much you know background into the, the industry so like i'm learning a lot just as it's being thrown out this is a really interesting discussion too because i agree the industry is made up of nepotism but i think that as a young black man in this industry like you cannot fall back on that as your reason for not being like okay enough to be doing the job that you're in I have extreme like imposter syndrome from what I'm doing because I even though I went to school for film and like even though I studied all of this I never did casting in my life and so when I got this job and like it started as an internship and turned into a job and like when I got the internship I was like these people are gonna hate me they're gonna like find out I'm a fraud and then they ended up hiring me um so it's just I feel like there is a lot of that like imposter syndrome especially from young professionals especially from young people that aren't technically supposed to aren't seen in the industry normally so like yes you have a really cool job <laughs> and um you have a really cool background to it so so I, I kind of want to back up can you kind of describe your interview process like for the for the internship and then you know getting the full-time job yeah um so like I said I started as an intern and then it transitioned into a job so I never technically mm -hmm. had an interview for the actual job itself but I had an interview for the internship and so mm -hmm. what that was was it was um a phone interview and then a FaceTime call and it was pretty simple honestly I was very scared funny story when I had the the FaceTime call, I was working at Cinemopolis, which is our local like art house theater in Ithaca. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to take my break and go to the like back, like basement area <laughs> to take this like interview. And I thought that I I was like, this is awful. I, they're gonna know, they're gonna see that I'm at work and like, they're not gonna wanna hire me and whatever. And then a week later they called me um, and I got the job. So oh, that's awesome. that was basically it, yeah. Okay, I was I was expecting some kind of like 
high stress. I mean, well, that does sound stressful, right. but like some I kind mean, of yeah. super intensive, like getting you in a room full of scary people. Scary people. That's what I thought it was going to be as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I did start the job, I had to do like a bunch of background checks and I had to, you know, I had to sign an NDA and everything. Like technically mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to talk about any of the projects that I work on. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was, I'm very, very, very thankful because the job that I work in is the office is really small and it happens to be all women. So it was like super unnerve wracking, which was great. You just reminded me, I may or may not have signed an NDA for my job. So I need to not be specific. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> I was just going to call for my boss. Like, Hey, heard your podcast. Great job. Also, you are so fired. So fired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So let's break this down a little bit. Uh, starting with the broadest question of all. I know this is the question of everybody's mind. Is Hollywood slash the entertainment industry racist? I mean, it's just, are there, are there white people? And then are there non-white people occupying the same space? The answer is always going to be, yes, the racism exists in that. Like to some, whether or not they know it, like it's yeah. just, yeah. Um, no, a hundred percent. So I know it's, it's interesting because both of our takes on like this racist entertainment industry are kind mm-hmm. of, they're very similar, but also very different because mm-hmm. I work in films and Bo kind of works within the TV game realm um so we have very kind of different experiences Uh but they're the same in the sense of like there's this there's this uh article or i guess it's on the article it was a report uh that was published in 2019 called inequality in 1200 popular films it was reported by professor stacy l smith and the annenberg inclusion initiative and basically it said that it reveals that progress toward inclusion remains to be seen among top movies with regards to females, underrepresented racial ethnic groups, the LGBTQ plus community and individuals with disabilities. So, you know, that report came out in 2019, but it had only spanned between 2007 and 2017, reporting on 1200 movies between that period. So of course that was almost like three years ago. And within that time, we've had movies like Moonlight and Black Panther and Just Mercy come out. But honestly, for me, like, I think that nothing has changed yet. Yeah. Like when you were reading all of that, I was just like, and no one is surprised by any of this. Mm-hmm. Like even in, like, I'm just trying to think of the big movies this year. Um, right. And I can't, like I, well, okay. It's hard to think of movies in general right now because right. there's not a lot to, to do, but I'm just like, okay. So Christopher Nolan put uh, like his, I, I, I don't remember the actor's name, but a black man is starring in Tenet. Oh, um, 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 oh my God. John David Washington. No. Yeah. I, I should know his name. He was in Black Klansman. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Um, yeah, he's Denzel Washington's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, legit? I didn't know that. Yeah, legit, legit. I'm pretty sure his name is Don, Don, John David Washington. I'm almost 100% positive. I just, Denzel Washington Jr. at that point, just get into <laughs> as many meetings as you can. Um, yeah. But no, point like, so, you know, Christopher Nolan has had a lot of movies that are high budget, high, mm-hmm. uh, like, really, 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 really well done movies, but like no black people in any yep. of them. Like, yeah. not even in background characters. Like, even within the big names, the ones where, like, you could change someone's life. Like, they're not going out and finding... They're not changing anyone's life. Like, Denzel Washington's kid was going to have money regardless of this role. Right. Um, and then it's just a matter of, like, all of the smaller... Like, and, and he, you know, he's taking up so much media space in terms of him trying to single-handedly save theaters during a fucking global pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, cool. So I can point to that one dude in that mm-hmm. one overwhelmingly white movie other mm-hmm. than The Face. Right. What else this year? Right. 
And there are just so many movies like that, too, where it's like, I mean, for me, I remember when Lady Bird came out, everybody, I was so excited about it, and I loved it, and everybody saw it, and everybody loved it, and then Little Women came out, and, like, everybody's like, Greta Gerwig is just, like, this amazing director, and, like, she's making these incredible films that, you know, are representing women, and, like, female empowerment, blah, 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 and I was like, yeah, but, I mean, where are the black people? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm, gr- mm, like, even in Little Women, people are talking about how Timothy Chalamet's character of Laurie could have been played by um, Dev Patel. It could have been played by any by POC. And yet we are just taking and dominating these narratives with just white, white people. I mean, that can be said for like, um, oh my gosh, what was the movie? The movie by Sofia Coppola, who did a remake of... You're, you're on your own on this one. I have no idea what you're talking about. There is a prominent black character who happens to be like a mammy type. And she just mm. completely took out that role instead and basically she was like i don't know how to you know i don't know how to talk about that person because i'm white that's interesting and you know they're just like all these complicated things where it's like well that could have been your excuse into introducing more black characters and showing Mm -hmm. them as actual people instead of like these stereotypical tropes and i feel like that Mm -hmm. happens so often in so much of media but i mean i think the biggest thing is that there are different structural systems that are set in place to uphold this like racism Mm -hmm. and in this environment within our, within Hollywood and like the entertainment sister system as a whole. Like, I Mm -hmm. mean, we kind of talked about nepotism, but like gatekeeping is so big in this industry. And um, when I say gatekeeping, what I mean is like, I consider myself a gatekeeper in the sense of like, I'm a casting assistant and you know, I know these certain people that could get other people roles into a show or like into a movie or something like that. And ultimately I feel like there are different levels of gatekeeping and there are different levels of like gatekeepers. And though I'm still just like a small rung, I still feel like I have some kind of like sense of power of like self within this industry. Um, And I think that gatekeeping is a really big problem because ultimately what happens is that it just ends up being all white people that want to let other white people up the other ranks of the ladder to get up to the top of Hollywood or of the entertainment industry. And I feel like a lot of it is not necessarily them going into it being like, I'm going to keep black people down. Like, I'm sure there are people that are straight up consciously like, no, like I'm a racist. I'm a proud racist. Those people 100% exist, but I'm also concerned at the fact that like, there's so many people that don't think there's an issue or that that don't think that they are a part of the issue that they're a part of the issue. Yeah. They're like, you know, I, I read the news. I vote. I voted for Hillary. I'll die if I voted for Obama, blah, 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 blah. Like, and so like, there's not, there's gotta be this active push to like for inclusivity because so like my, I, I don't want to like the first big um, job that I got in entertainment. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to have like out of the five PAs, three of us were black guys. Yeah. And like, it was, you know, all handpicked from the same person all uh like we all literally grew up together like it was one of those like um like I got the job because of um like I said my mom's friend worked at the show so all the black people in Santa Clarita know each other so I when I got to (laughs) to work the first day I was like yeah like seeing the the call list I was like this isn't these aren't like the same two people that holy shit childhood friends okay cool like (laughs) in talking to um like the uh stage manager like who was also black yeah he was just like no, yeah, it's been an active effort to get in more more people yeah. of color because you can't right. just rely on, you know, white people to do the right thing because right. they don't often know what the right thing to do is. Like, it's, it's hard Dude. to... to mm-hmm. 
and it's hard to like go into the interview and be like hi you should hire me because i know that you only have white kids like no yeah and that's 100 percent it and that's like an example of good gatekeeping like if you have a position of power and you're able to bring in different groups of people that you aren't seeing on your sets in your rooms like etc that's what's good and the problem like you said is that these gatekeepers these people in higher up positions that have this power just are completely unaware and like oblivious of the fact that they're not doing enough and that they're not offering enough support specifically to like low income by POC people that aren't going to be given this um, opportunity and that kind of leads us into another big problem which is money inequality which is like huge in Hollywood you can't do anything without any kinds of money um and you know try making a movie try making a game try making a tv show without some kind of like daddy's money fund um to be able to like get the equipment to be able to like hire people to also be on your sets it's just it's so hard to get into and that's why I feel like like the indie genre is kind of looked down upon because it it, is these people that you know just don't have enough money to make these big budget films and so they turn to like different kinds of movie making filmmaking tv making whatever else to like get the job done I also feel like the general idea of like when you said uh, indie like Mm -hmm. I don't and this might just be like a me thing, but like there's half of in my head, it's just like when I'm thinking about movies, just when you say the word indie, it kind of just takes it down a rung just a right. little bit. So like yeah. even if you have the most creative script, the most creative cinematographer, like on, you know, just in the world, if it's yeah. not shot in 4K, then someone might turn away from that. And like that's right. unfair. I mean, like Ava DuRene talks about this a lot about how, well, she's like a very specific case, but she didn't pick up a camera until she was in her 30s. And then when she did, her first two movies, she self-funded. Like she raised all of the money for that. And she's talked about in interviews about not only how hard it was to do that, but after her like big, her big like release of her movie, of one of her like movies that she got to do for like a big studio was Selma. Mm -hmm. And how even after Selma came out, she still wasn't getting any funding from companies, from, you know, producers, from uh, production studios to help her make her next movies that she wanted to make. And it's just, ugh. I mean, that kind of brings up the interesting point of like the black movie or black art sub genre, because I feel like mm. that kind of says something like, like just right now off the top of your head, if you think of like a black movie, like a just quote unquote stereotypically right. black movie, like Tyler Perry's right. going to come up. Yeah. And like, course. I don't necessarily associate quality with Tyler Perry films. Yeah. So, like, I feel like the, I don't know, just over time, if you start hearing like, oh, it's a, it's a black film. It's a, it's a film for a specific person. There's just this automatic like, oh, well, it might not be as good, blah, 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 and just shuts down. And that's kind yeah. of like, if, you know, if I'm doing that and I'm black and I'm trying, like there's yeah. no fucking way some white critic that has access to, like that has clout that could really elevate this, this, this um, just piece of art to a lot of people. Yeah. They're just like, oh no, it's just, it's just this. And then they dismiss. And that's a, that's another big structure that's in place in this system is that whiteness is being taught as the central narrative. You know what I mean? Like whiteness is being taught in film schools. I know from experience, but also within the industry, within everything that we do, like we're surrounding ourselves and saying that whiteness is the only form of like pure cinema, like the, you know, the white men's, um, narrative and the white men's like diaries, how we're going to make it in in today's society um there's a tv show by ryan murphy i'm not a big ryan murphy fan but it's called hollywood and i wouldn't recommend it it's not fun it's basically just like a white man's version of what he thought hollywood should be looking like in the 1940s i think it's supposed to be set in the 1940s but basically there is a character who's a screenwriter he's a black screenwriter he's a black gay screenwriter and he talks about how 
and obviously this is like fictionalized, but he talks about how when he writes his stories, uh, he did not want to have to write these black dominated stories. So he started by writing his first feature film with a white female lead because he knew that that was what's going to get, that was what was going to get picked up. And that's what, what was going to get made into like a studio film. This is going to be a personal thing. Yeah. I fucking adore the classic Twilight Zone, but also yes. the new Twilight Zone with Jordan Peele. And I feel like going into it, like, and, and, and I feel like we'll, we'll touch on this in, in, in general, but just like the culture of you're either like woke, not woke, or like racist. Yeah. Just having Kumail Nanjiani be in the pilot of the Twilight Zone reboot is, oh, they're trying to force diversity into this. Like, okay, all right, look. So back in the day, mm-hmm. if they, yeah, if they were, I mean, no, back in the day, they were shoehorning diversity in. Like the, the Twilight yeah. Zone was one of the first shows with like women writers and like a woman-led yeah. narrative. Like, yeah. And we just now are like, oh, you know, whiteness is default. If you're not default, you are the other. The other mm-hmm. nine times out of 10 is bad. Yeah. So we're just going to dismiss this thing before we even really give it a chance. Before we look, before we give it five minutes, purely based off of skin tone. No, thanks. Yeah. That's kind of how it works everywhere. So like, yeah, like rounding back to the initial question of like, is Hollywood racist? Yes. Yes. The world everywhere. Right. right. <laughs> everywhere. I, I'm sure. Honestly, I just, I don't know if there is one industry, if there is one like systemic power that isn't inherently racist. Like our entire society is based in racism. So of mm-hmm. course, all of these different like systems that are mm-hmm. in place are going to be racist. And then, I mean, that even goes to like different forms of media. Like I know that we've been talking about movies and kind of games and TV, but like we also, I know we wanted to touch on like TikTok and YouTube. Yeah. All this other stuff that's happening where it's, you know, YouTube and TikTok are supposed to be these like creator based platforms where you're allowed mm-hmm. to like express yourself completely. And it's supposed to be based off of like views and like how many people like like engaging with your content. But, you know, we're mm-hmm. seeing the exact same things that are happening. TikTok is shadow banning black creators, female creators, plus size creators mm-hmm. aren't getting famous on TikTok. And I feel like, now that we know about the whole i feel like a lot of people are going to try to point this and be like oh well it's the chinese look fucking youtube does this too which twitch does this and that's owned by amazon twitch literally put out a like hey we're trying to listen to black voices we're going to escalate black voices and then in the fucking montage they had no black content creator and it's not like these are dumb people like they are obviously smart people to put together these crazy Mm -hmm. amazing platforms for people to like Mm -hmm. I, i feel like inherently the idea of you know, everyone has equal amounts of voice should be something that we should like applaud, but that's just not the case. Like if, uh, if, you know, a white kid has a hundred thousand views and, you know, a black kid has 50,000 views, the black kid could be uh, just 10 times funnier, but like mm-hmm. the weight has so much more of an effect. Like white kid could put out five mediocre videos, black kid could put out, you know, the fucking, the uh, Citizen Kane of TikTok and the white kid gets featured on the front page and sponsorship right. deals and now he's got a target ad and all this shit like i mean it's honestly it's the david dobrik effect i hate david dobrik i don't i like i get i get his platform i get what he's trying to do and honestly like he's not a bad person in any way he's just white he's just white and that's when he <laughs> became like super popular and like he's literally just a mediocre white man but he's making 
tons of millions of dollars just for being a mediocre white man. And there are people on YouTube, there are other black creators and like um, other people that are doing so much more than him and aren't getting seen or valued in any way mm-hmm. by YouTube. Um, and yeah, it's, it's sad. And then on top of that, it's like we have, we are so quick to forgive to like forgive white silence and white complacency and white tears mm-hmm. on these platforms. I cannot tell you how many white apology videos I've seen on TikTok, on YouTube now. And I'm just like, so I'm so exhausted by it because, uh, you know, they'll do something, these people will do something bad and then immediately come out with this apology video and people are like, oh, oh. Well, they yeah. apologize. They apologize. So like, they're going to learn, they'll grow, they'll move on. Meanwhile, these people that they've affected are continually getting you know like shadow banning continually they're not the 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 videos aren't uplifting or really apologizing they're not bringing Mm -hmm. black people to the narrative you know what i mean like they're just kind of making it worse making an initial mistake says a lot but it's mostly how you respond to that because like i i don't know i feel like a lot of what we kind of take for granted um in terms of like hey you know trans rights are human rights and like yeah (laughs) general black lives matter like the things that we kind of take for granted um people that like if you've never met a trans person before in your life and like you just you know you're in this small religious conservative town that you've just never been exposed to these ideas before Mm -hmm. you know if you say something out of pocket and then people call you out for being out of pocket Mm -hmm. and then your response is yo okay so i've said something wrong let me figure out like what's going on like why why did i say like you know let me get to the bottom of why i've offended people yeah because I have offended people, but if your first response is, oh, you're just soft, you're just blah, 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 like, it's, it's this self-defense mechanism that, like, you just, are, it, it resists from growing, mm-hmm. like, you can't, um, and I feel like with, like, the, the Paul brothers, and with, mm. like, but even with Shane Dawson now, the first reaction is usually, like, what the fuck are you talking about, I'm not actually a bad person, and then after more people dogpile them, then it becomes, oh, hey, you know, empty sorry i don't know what i'm sorry for right. i don't have any actions to take in the future i just know that this needs to be said mm-hmm. I, i'm not going to learn but here's the apology that my sponsors need to hear from me so i can still get paid way too much to do nothing right no exactly and i feel like it's so it's so easy to 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 give into those kinds of apologies, I think people are so nervous to educate themselves and to like mm. admit that they were wrong that immediately their like initial response is to be like, oh no, this isn't, nothing's wrong with this, this isn't me. Um, but I think one of the key things is that there, there's like this art of not helping, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> It's cool that you apologize, but it's not really helpful. <laughs> There's a difference between actually being helpful and actually giving a platform to these people that you have, you know, fucked over versus what these people on YouTube and TikTok are doing. Yeah. Like in terms of the art of not helping, you know, it's a lot of the, my favorite example so far has been Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Um, like not, you know, it's not TV, but millions of players every day are logging into this thing. So I feel like it's important to to touch upon. Yeah. So they replaced like the okay symbol like where you're like it's it's the white it's now a white power symbol right but yeah. like, like you know i first learned it oh i'm okay if i'm scuba diving you say this that means you're not gonna die <laughs> yeah awesome i've played a lot of video games in my life i have been called the n-word most in call of duty mm. like call of duty is the game that made me learn oh join a game mute everyone before you even pick your loadout like mm. it's that's the first thing you do so they decide, hey, you know, Black Lives Matter, we're taking out the okay symbol, but they're keeping in, like, there are players that literally have the word nigger in their name, like hard R, yeah. like, 
like in all the other slurs. Yeah. So it's like, you can't put a quick ban on racial slurs, but you can take out and replace this animation that frankly, not a lot of people use anyway. Yes. It's like, so you're, you're pissing off the three people that probably didn't even know that it was a, a white power symbol. Yep. For not a statement. Like if anything, this is drawing more attention to the fact that you don't know what the fuck you're doing or what the fuck you're talking about. Exactly. My favorite one has been the removal of all of the quote unquote like blackface episodes from like Netflix. Mm. And great. I'm glad you're removing some blackface. Glad we're not going to have that. But <laughs> the one that they removed was an episode from Golden Girls where the Golden Girls put on like mud masks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let me just stop you right there. Black people aren't fucking dumb. They don't think that yeah. mud face is blackface. So, like, I understand what you're doing, but it's not only is it not helpful, but it's also demeaning to think that we are minimizing the movement of Black Lives Matter to being upset over Golden Girls, who, God bless them, Mm -hmm. put on mud (laughs) masks. Like, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So, do you want to move into question bag? Yeah! Let's take a break! New York City! New York City! You are now rapping rapping with me! 50 cent, 50 cent. You gotta love it, you gotta love it. I just wanna chill and twist the lies. Stepsons in my 745. You drive me crazy, shorty. I need to see you and feel you next to me. I provide everything you need, and I like your smile. I don't wanna see you cry. Got some questions that I gotta ask, and I, I got a question. Did they ever rebuild the London Bridge? All right. <laughs> Cool. Welcome to this week's question bag. We haven't done this uh, yet on the podcast, but basically we'll just be fielding some questions from people that um, anonymously submit them. Question is, does cancel culture exist within Hollywood slash the entertainment entertainment industry? Um, Okay. So like I said, this is a great question and I've gotten into a lot of different discussions regarding cancel culture as a whole, but my answer is pretty simple. Uh, In this environment that we're in now, I don't think that true cancel culture exists. Um, now, when I say true cancel culture, what I mean is, and I'm I'm pulling this from an article that I found on Vox, um, they say, within the past five years, the rise of cancel culture and the idea of canceling someone have become polarizing topics of debate as a familiar pattern has emerged. A celebrity or other public figure does or says something offensive, a public backlash often fueled by politically progressive social media ensues. Then come the calls to cancel the person, that is to effectively end their career and revoke their cultural cash, uh, whether their boycotts of their work or disciplinary action from an an employer, but actually ending someone's career through the power of public backlash is easier said than done. Few entertainers have been truly canceled. That is, they haven't had their careers totally shut down by negative criticism on the internet. Um, So this says everything that I want to say. I mean, like, come on, we've gotten outright racist running our White House, and you really think that celebrities and stand-up comedians and white girls are going to be doxxed left and right? Uh, Do you think that Hollywood is really going to get rid of their stars and YouTube is really going to demonetize their performers and TikTok is really going to lose followers for shadow banning black creators? It hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen now. I mean, like, Bo and I were just talking about this um and like this it's it's just I don't think it's real um so I know that you guys are all gonna say but like what about Louis CK and what about Sean Dawson and what about that girl that got suspended for saying the n-word at my school um so I just kind of wanted to break this down a little bit and talk about it 
So starting with Louis C.K., obviously an awful, awful man. Um, but like many other rapists in the past, my dude is sadly still up and running regularly. Um, I think that he's still worth a decent amount of money. I haven't checked, but I'm pretty sure it's still like millions of dollars. Um, and he still lives in like this big, beautiful house and he is still performing daily. Like he performs all the time. Um, just because we know him to be this like awful person and just because someone called him out, um, and basically asked for him to be canceled doesn't mean that our society is going to allow him to be fully revoked as a professional. Scarlett Johansson is kind of like a peak model of this kind of cancel culture. We call her out time and time again for cultural appropriation and taking roles for other bi POC who actually deserve them. But you know that the Marvel Universe is never gonna get rid of their Black Widow. Like we love Scarlett Johansson. We, she's never gone. Um, this can be said over and over again for many other problematic performers higher-ups, and entertainer, entertainers within the industry. The biggest thing that I've seen and gotten out of this most recent quote-unquote cancel culture is not actually the fear of being canceled or being pushed out of our society. It's become this fear of being called out and labeled racist or homophobic or whatever else is deemed unacceptable. We as a society have realized that yes, we aren't going to be kicked out of our bubble because we made a racist joke. Instead, now we have to live with the fact that the racist joke we made, uh, happened and that someone could deem it as unpro as problematic because we said it. But I do need to make this clear. There is a very big difference between being called out and being canceled. I don't think we as a society right now have the capacity to actually cancel someone fully, let alone never allow them within our sphere of entertainment again. Cancel culture cannot and will not exist within an environment that doesn't even uphold its own standards and rules. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that Hollywood and the entertainment industry is so entangled with their own corruptness that of course we will only see slaps on the wrist when a celebrity or an entertainer gets outed for being problematic or not politically correct. People like Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K., and Roseanne Barr only really got booted because their problems were so extreme extreme, um, and so much in the limelight that Hollywood could no longer sweep things under the rug and say that they'll just learn from their past mistakes. So that was a lot, and there's a lot more that I could say and touch on about this topic, but I feel like right now we're really still in this like in-between stage of understanding the critical differences between cancel culture and being called out slash called in. I guess what I'll leave you with, though, is if you're seriously nervous about being quote-unquote canceled, what are you hiding? <laughs> like, whatever it is, own up to it now, and don't be afraid of someone calling you out for your past mistakes. Apologize and grow the fuck up! Like... Fuck! I don't know if there's anything you want to say about cancel culture, Bo, but like that's my take. No, you fucking nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so to you know continue the general discussion of lack of representation, the question really: Why do we think black women aren't being represented and put into higher positions in the industry? Um, I, you know, you have racism, you have sexism. Put them all together. together. And, uh, no surprises. Like, yeah, that's Hollywood. I, it's. It's such a simple question in the sense of like, yeah, where are all the black women at in, in this industry? And the problem is that they're there. There are so many black women that are like demanding, asking to be put into these positions of power, to be put into the movies, to be put in the films, to be in the rooms. And yet we are just, you know, immediately what came to my head is like, we're cock blocking them. <laughs> we're, we aren't allowing them into those spaces because of racism and sexism and the idea that they're not going to be able to succeed and do well. Like, like, and okay. So first I, 
as I read the initial stat, I was like, 8% of female characters were white. That doesn't make any sense. It's 68%. I mistyped it. I clicked on the, I was like, this is wrong and clicked on the link. It's 68%, not 8%. I'm sorry. 68% white, 20% black, 7% Asian. Um, it's really hard to say like, oh, it's going to take baby steps. Cause no, it's got to take one big, like we, we need the critics to be on our side. Mm -hmm. We need the casting people to be on our side. We need just production companies to be on our side, like from top. And then we need the audience to be on our side. Right. Oh, that's so big. Like at the end of the day, if you, you know, if you push all of it, like, I think part of the reason that Black Panther was such a huge success was not just because like, oh, it was like a good movie. Mm -hmm. It made money. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, talk, we could, I, I will, you know, we could have a whole podcast on the flaws of Black Panther and how that last fight was just a drag, like a really bad <laughs> Dragon Ball CGI fight. Yes. But like the themes in that movie were black, yep. like black as fuck. Yeah. Like it, it's not like a, oh, it's, it's this random story and they just had a bunch of black people in it. Like, no, from the bottom up, there was care for, you know, the different tribes within Wakanda. Yeah. Literally, Ryan Coogler fucking terraformed Atlanta <laughs> to make Wakanda real. Like, he put African grass in the goddamn Atlantan ground. Like, you're not going to get that level of detail from fucking Tarantino. Yeah. Like, he'll drop 80 N-bombs in a movie, but he's not going to like really, really put that level of care into, um, you know, into the work. Exactly. That's a hundred percent correct. And I feel like sadly, the reason that black professionals are putting that much care into the work that they're doing, not only are they passionate about it, but a lot of, there's the belief that, you know, if you don't put that amount of care, if you don't put that amount of effort, you know, nobody's going to watch your film. Nobody's going to watch mm -hmm. your movie. And that kind of goes back to like, why there aren't any black women in our spaces is the sense of like you know if you see a, a white male creator flop at a film because they didn't put any like effort any emphasis or anything like that into mm -hmm. the movie and it doesn't make money they immediately come back with another movie well no because the first time it was just you know it was bad marketing right. and it was a bad release time yeah. and it was just it was just not a good time you know the movie itself was fine it was not you know right, right right and so they get to come back and they have more funding to make that next movie but when you see like a black female like um julie dash who did daughters of the dust which is one of the like pioneering films for black cinema and um, it's this beautiful this beautiful narrative um and it's just like so well done and she, it's not like the movie didn't flop, but it didn't do great. And, and she has never been heard from again as a director. Like it is this insanely gorgeous film and so well done. And just because people didn't come out to see it, um, she never got funded to do another movie ever again. And so she kind of just disappears. And that happens so often where it's like these black people are putting 200, 2000% of themselves into these movies and then they don't do well. And then they're never heard from again. I'm, I'm not sure if this is worse or better or if they're even on the same playing field but if if so let's say you are a black creator mm -hmm. you do hit the big time you get you know triple a marketing you get all this amazing amazing like crazy budget whatever mm -hmm. you make this movie that is a black movie like it is you know for us by us yeah. and then it's released to white audiences and then white people just completely miss the point yeah and like, I'm, I'm thinking of just Get Out specifically. I knew you were like, going like, to say Get Out. Yeah, yeah, Like, either either Get Out or Us, to me, uh, is a lot more. Like, Us is not as racially charged. That, to me, is the, it's a Marxist revolution. They're right. literally all wearing red and killing the oppressors. And right. literally, they literally are rising up. Like, there is no subtlety in that allegory. Mm -hmm. Fucking Get Out. 
um, like, you know about the original ending for that Yes, I've movie. seen the original ending. Yeah. So for those that don't know, at the end of, of Get Out, spoilers, uh, his, you know, cop lights pull up as he's choking out um, the, 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 the girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember her name. Um, and, oh, it's Lil Ray, and it's his friend, it, you know, TSA, woo! And all that stuff is fun, happy ending, great times. The original ending, that was actually the cops, and they were going to arrest his ass. Yep. They arrest um, him, and they throw him into jail, and then Lil Ray comes, and he's like, why did you kill that family? And he was like, I, you know, I didn't, this is just fucked up. And Lil Ray is like, okay, and then leaves. And that's like, that's the end. Like, and that is, because, you know, I remember seeing that in theaters, and like half, uh, like when the cop, when the, the, the lights started flashing, I, my heart drops i was like what has this all been for <laughs> why did we go through all of this for nothing and like i remember hearing some size of relief right. in the audience right being like oh thank god we can finally get like you know he'll get his justice like no right. no you're completely missing the point right. so i feel like you know if they did go with that original ending and i feel like the reason they didn't was because of the audience there were a lot of people that just would have been like well that doesn't make any sense yeah. if he told the truth you missed the point yeah no, Jordan Peele said in an interview, he was like, for a really long time, that was the ending. And I wasn't going to be, I wasn't convinced that there should be a different ending because that that's real life. Like there's no good ending for, for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he basically alludes at the fact where he was like, well, then I was kind of like swayed that we should change it to this. I'm glad that we did type thing. I'm sure his company or like whatever people were trying to like release the film or like, you can't, you can't do this. You have to give them some kind of relief at the end. You're like, this white audience is going to rebel or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, kind of touching on like, there is obviously a lack of black women both behind and in front of the camera um, in the entertainment industry. So like kind of focused on the on-camera representation and or lack thereof, or you know, the pigeonhole. The, the, I was explaining what being typecast is to my brother mm -hmm. yesterday, and just like, like I feel like Melissa McCarthy is like one of the easiest examples, <laughs> but just like black women typecast. Yep. Like, um, so you have like the mammy slash the magical Negro, which if shout out to um, I think it's called Astronauts Club. Oh yeah, they yeah, have a yeah. sketch. Yeah, where it's literally like the mystical Negro archetype, and like they they have a problem and they can't stop helping white people. Um. You got the ghetto black girl, the angry black bitch, the best friend, um, all of which can I, like they feel like disposable characters like, way too often. I'm just thinking of all of the cartoons where it's like oh. white protagonist, your black friend to show that you care about minorities. Like, right. <laughs> like hey, you can't call Arnold racist because look at Gerald. Like, look at Gerald. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that's just like, least... that's a Disney archetype in the sense of like, there's always like a black best friend in every Disney TV show. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, there, I mean, there are so many different like stereotypes and tropes that black women specifically are put into um, as the Holly, as Hollywood, as the entertainment industry evolves. And sadly, what I'm seeing is just that, yeah, it's this, it's this fake call of diversity. It's this fake call of inclusion when you allow these like black women into these movies, into these shows, into these games, but then you give them these like archetypal roles where not only are they one dimensional, but fuck, what was I saying? Oh, I was just, I'm, I'm sure I was just saying something about black women aren't honestly just aren't respected. I feel like in media specifically when it's made by white creators, because they're not giving them, they're not fulfilling them as characters that are making them these like one dimensional things. And then they're only there to fulfill the white, protagonist 
narrative daydream whatever else do you have any like games or like tv shows or movies that you feel like poorly represents black women i mean in terms of of games specifically my biggest issue is that all black women have the same fucking haircut it's all the it's all the afro they're strong black women they're usually fighting nazis specifically like like they have a character so what wolfenstein 2 came out they had a black woman with an afro Mm -hmm. and that was like the first time that i had seen that in games so i was like you know what you're, you're literally fighting Nazis. You've got the Black Panther thing going for you. I'm not going to say that this is like, I'm not giving you my stamp of approval, but I'm not offended. Right. And then the next Black woman, like literally at that E3, I can't remember the, na- the, the game. Love to see the representation, but like, can we get more diversity within this representation? Right. Because yeah. it's, it's like, you, you all met that one Black lady at that one GDC one year, and all of you were like, oh, she's got to be in our game. No, and that's really true. And like, I don't play a lot of games, mm-hmm. but the games that I do play never... Mm-hmm and you touched upon this, never have, like, my body figure, my hairstyle, like, anything like that. It's a very specific kind of Black woman that they're representing mm-hmm. in these games. Um, and it's mm-hmm. so unfortunate that that's the only kind of representation that they get, sadly. And something that I kind of wanted to... I, I've been wanting to bring this up for so long, I just wasn't sure when to do it. Okay. Um, but the idea of... like, And, and you, you were the one that brought it up earlier, just the idea of not knowing how to be inclusive. Yeah. So I'm just concerned with, like, how is it like, how do we as the public try to get equality and try to get inclusion from people that when you ask them for inclusion, they're just like, I don't know. And then they shut down. Oh, my God. This came up so much when I was in film school, whereas like all of these white men that were trying to write these characters or like create these characters that mm-hmm. they had no understanding of their experience. And so then when it came down to it, they were just like, okay, I'm going to get rid of it. And I was like, no, that's that's not what you do. And I don't think that I have the answer to this question because I think it's a very, like, gray area question in the sense of, like, it really depends on the person. But, like, when you're getting down to it, as a, like, I'm a screenwriter, I don't know, how am I supposed to write the white experience or, like, somebody else's experience that isn't my own? What I research. I research. I look up. I go to little Miss Google, you know, our favorite little friend. And I'm like... <laughs> And then when it comes down to it, if I if somebody reads it and they're like, this is offensive, I need you to rework this, I go back, I do my reading, I do my educating, and I'm like, oh, fuck, this is offensive. How do I continue to represent this character or continue to represent the story without being offensive? And sometimes that means, you know, calling in other people and being again being a gatekeeper to allow new people to come in and like rework this story so that their story is being told i think a lot of people are really scared of saying that they want to bring in like a black woman or bring in like you know any other kinds of people um underrepresented people into their space because they're scared that they're going to be like well you're just bringing them in because you got called out yes yes you are and like, literally, that is how they get into the room sometimes. They shouldn't only be getting into the room because you got called out for being offensive. But that is a way to get them into the room, to allow them to like express themselves and like be in those spaces. Like I just, within, it blows my mind that people don't understand that. They're just like, nah, we'll just get rid of it. Like, I feel like you, the, the word that you kept repeating that stuck out to me was rework. Because mm-hmm. it's not a matter of, yeah, it's not, oh, I'm just going to throw it out. It's not, oh, I've got a, like just completely 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 change it so that it's unrecognizable like yeah especially if you if you are you know you're creative you're the artist that's bringing this from you know blank page to a full production right if you really care about your stuff get it right it's not a matter of just because you got called out which like you said yeah yes if you get called out for something fix it but like those people that are just like oh you're just doing it because you got called out they're pretending like 
there is not an actual legitimate need and not a legitimate need for representation or for yes. general inclusion and, and decency. Like outside of the idea of like, you know, the more diverse workplaces generally make more money. Like we're about to, we being, <laughs> we being, um, you know, minority groups are about to outnumber, um, you know, white players, like white youths under the age of 18 by this year. So already when you look at who's playing games, like it's at this point, it's less than half are, are white people. And then also yeah. over the last, um, you know, several years, the amount of female gamers within the U.S. Um, has increased. It, it increased by 9% since 2006, and it's still growing. I know, just, and the, the fact that most of the developers, like, I don't want to go through, it's 81% white, 71% male, 79% straight, mm-hmm. but oddly 85% of them, of all game devs in the, or in the U.S., um, felt like diversity was important in the games industry. So if literally 85% of y'all are really, really concerned with this. I'm not going to say like step down, but like if you're hiring, don't hire the next John Smith. I, I Now I'm in a, a fucking gaming rant and I have my fan off because I don't want it to come up on the mic and it's hot as hell. <laughs> I'm angry. Give me diversity, Hollywood. I will. Give I, us diversity. <laughs> now I know. I mean, but there are, like, some good examples of what Hollywood is doing so far that I appreciate and that, like, I'm really happy about. Um, My, when I think, well, most recently when I think of good examples is I just watched Watchmen, which I loved. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. No, I, yes, yes. Watchmen was, yeah, like, as a a comic book fan, it's awesome. As a, like, specifically Watchmen fan like the, the the original source material yeah awesome yeah to everyone that's complaining that, oh they tried to fucking make watchmen lib blah 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 that's what watchmen was in the first place exactly uh, yeah yeah you know it's a very the the subject matter of the show itself it's comic book it's all that stuff the core like the theme of the show is generational trauma yeah and how yeah. that permeates through and it, we we live in a very different world than the world of watchmen but like the themes and the message are still I think relevant and powerful. Yeah. And the showrunner is a white dude that was inspired by learning about the events of the Tulsa massacre. Yeah. Like of Black Wall Street. Yeah. So like literally he he learned about it, did all the research mm-hmm. and then made a show proving that you can have a powerful black cast and not like you know, it's not, you don't have to be a black person to give handouts to other black people. It's funny that you say that because that's like a big argument that I get into with people where they're like, well, April, like you're saying this means that like white men can't write anything. And I'm like, no, I'm not saying that white men can't write anything. I'm saying is they have to do their fucking research. The next show that I recommend was written and directed by a white man and literally lead, lead star is Zendaya. Um, it's Euphoria, which is I was so the director and the writer is Sam Levin Levinson, Sam Levinson, something like that. And mm. basically he did this movie called Assassination Nation that came out in maybe like 2016, 2015. And I was like blown away by how good it was. And I was like, there's no way Wait, it was actually good. It was actually so good. Fuck, I skipped it. It's so good. Like so okay. fucking good. Um, and I was like, oh, this couldn't have been written by a man. And then it was written by a man and it was a <laughs> white man. And I was like, no fucking way. And then Euphoria came out and it was the same guy. And it kind of has like the same vibe as Euphoria. And Zendaya is the lead. And like, it's, of course, there are, I think everybody's going to always question when it's like, 
you know, a black, um, young adult that has a drug problem. Like, why does it have to be, like, a black story? But with that aside, it is a really interesting and, like, intricate and, like, this beautifully told story about Mm -hmm. specifically, like, he says it's about his own life living with drug addiction and, like, how he was able to kind of, like, format that into a TV show that didn't have to have a white protagonist. And I was like, this is so well done. Well, um, some other shows, like, TV shows that I really like are... See You Yesterday, which is on Netflix, uh, Sella and the Spades, which is on Amazon, and uh, shout out to Jarell Jerome, an IC alum, he's in that one. Um, the Eddie, which is, I, it's very slow and it's very, like, realist, um, but it's, it's beautiful, it's really well done, and it stars Andre Holland and um, Amanda Lestineberg as the leads. And then my personal favorite this year, well, these last couple of years, has been The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's just, just like this beautiful story about two black dudes that live in San Francisco as it's about to be gentrified. And that's just so, mm-hmm. so, so nice. Similar story of, I mean, it's not gentrification necessarily, but like the Bay Area, as I'm burping everything that I've ever consumed in the last 10 years. Um, yeah. No, Sorry to Bother You uh, is one of the few movies that I can, like, I'm confident changed my life. Yeah. And like how I think about things. Um, it's also a very smelly movie. Yes. It has me like, it has me equally, like, I'm so excited to see what happens next. And also, dear God, don't let anything else happen. Yeah. It has this, it's hilarious and frightening, yep. intense, but it, it's one of the, like, it, it's required viewing in my head. Like, it's, it's fucking fantastic. Something that I'm not going to say is required viewing, but I think I enjoyed my time with it. Queen Sono on Netflix. It's, um... I want to say South African made, but it's, it's, you know, it's like the, it's all across Africa. Yeah. Like the, the plot is just, she's a secret agent for this trans-African company, agency, whatever. And she just goes, it's really, 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 really not great when it comes to the like script itself mm-hmm. and the acting uh, Queen, the, I, I should have looked up her name, but Queen Sona herself is fucking awesome. Marvel needs to hire her mm-hmm three times like i the music in this show is fantastic uh, yeah. um it's like got a great soundtrack um pearl tusi is her name queen sono so get pearl in marvel asap <laughs> how should i get pearl in Marvel? really yeah. like she's awesome and then a wild card pick um so anything by comic book artist Dwayne duffy mm-hmm. um he and this is one of those things where it's like i i don't know the name Dwayne, I was like, that could be black. But then McDuffie, I was like, ah, oh, probably not. <laughs> um, but I, 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 it was fucked up. I didn't find out that he was black until he passed away in like 2015. Mm. Um, and I also found out that he literally wrote the first comic book that a childhood Bobo ever owned. <laughs> so, America number three, the Injustice League. That was my first comic that I've ever, I have it in the box back there. Like it's like, you know, R.I.P., we need more black people in comic books yeah. and he was one of the greats. So um, show him some, or show his estate some love rather because he's gone. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess to kind of just wrap up, is there anything that you would like to touch on? I mean, obviously there's so much stuff that we haven't even like really yeah. dived into. But... I was like, half of me is like, I, I could literally talk for another hour, but I also know that like, like just Louis C.K. as a human being, I could go off. I could go off. That man. Okay. See.
See, see, we can't, we can't just, like, <laughs> we can't just, we'll just keep going. We'll you can't just, going. you can't just dip your toe into fucking cancel culture for a little bit. You can't like, yeah, there really is so much about this industry that, yeah, we kind of just like brushed over and didn't really talk about, but I mean, who knows future podcasts, um, who knows when we'll be co-hosts again together, but if that happens, we can talk some more and see <laughs> how far we can go off our rails with this. Um, but Honestly, I, I feel like a good way to keep up with us would be to follow us on Twitter. Um, oh, at, yeah. B-L-K-F-R-I-E-N-D-C-O. Yeah. Friend us on everything. Reach out to us. Let us know what you think about the entertainment industry. Hey, hey. stay black. Jesus. <laughs> We did it. We, we talked about Hollywood. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's been wonderful to talk to you this week. Next week, you're going to hear from Devin and Alyssa. So stay tuned for that. Bye. Bye. <laughs> this call has now been disconnected. Thank you. Black Friend Collective. We will talk to you again soon. Down south. Hood baby. Guess what? BFC's starting a book club. Or at least we're trying to. The BFC book club's first pick is Hood Feminism by Miki Kendall. Join us and have it read by mid-August. We'll keep you updated. Hope to see you there.